Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Hello. Hey, if you're a kid, grade six or younger, and you'd like to come forward for this children's teaching moment, now would be the time. Come on up, sit around the front here. It's going to be great fun. I get the privilege today of doing the teaching moment. Condiment. and I, Condiments are the best, especially when drunk together out of one cup. Oh, I left my... I left my phone, which has my Bible passage on the arm of the, there it is, thank you. Now I don't need that, thanks. So today, as we close out a series here at North Main Street Church of God, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God's spirit on earth. When you become a believer in Christ, before you become a believer in Christ, we're like this empty cup, okay? Well, sometimes we fill it with other junk. But when we come to Christ, we come to him completely poured out, okay? We empty ourselves of all of the bad stuff. We say, Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. And he takes all of the goopy, nasty stuff out, and he cleans it. But then he does something pretty amazing. He takes his Holy Spirit and he fills us up with himself. Okay? This is water, I promise. And it's very tasty, tap water. All right. But you know what happens sometimes? Is sometimes, after we've come to Christ... We struggle with anger. What is this? How many of you like hot sauce? How many of you just like to drink hot sauce? Uh, Thea, uh, Sawyer, you you like it too? All right. So let's just say we let anger come into our lives, and anger starts to control us. It looks pretty nasty, doesn't it? And then, and then... I don't know. We'll see. And then bitterness or frustration with others that really start to weigh on us. Our brother or sister's picking on us. They say bad things or we have a bad experience at school. And, oh, it's not going to come out. There it is. Oh, oh. You see that? That's disgusting. I like mustard, but not like this. And then let's say, I don't know. Whoops. Excuse me. Oh, that stinks. I mean, it's dressing, but it's still... Mm. Anywho, let's just say we get really upset at our parents or at God, and we're like, you know what? Who cares? I'm going to do what I want anyway. Got a little bit of that on my hand. That's disgusting. It is. It's grody. Can I drink it? 
Not yet. No. And then, and then, I don't know, let's just say, what are some things, what are some other bad things that we do sometimes? Lying. Lying. Oh, there's a good one. Red lies. No, it's ketchup, but it does look like blood, doesn't it? And then, I don't know, what's one, one more thing? Yeah. Disobeying your parents and some more? <laughs> what, Sawyer? Oh, so there, yeah, my, my kids do that too. It's like, hey, how was your day? Sometimes they have earbuds in, they really don't hear me. What do you think? Huh? Hitting people. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, oh. Mm. There it is. And you should see my tray. It's disgusting. No, don't. It's really not pretty. So, okay. But then after a while, we're like, I feel all icky and mucky inside. I don't like who I am. God, I'm so sorry. I've gotten way far away from you. Will you forgive me? And guess what he does? He starts to, he starts to come back into our lives in a way no, it gets prettier. And then um, he continues to do some amazing works in our lives. Yeah. Oh, it smells horrible. But let me be honest with you. When God, when God is filling you and cleaning you out, it can hurt sometimes. And it can smell bad. When God is having you deal with the problems in your life that you don't want to deal with, he will bring these things to the surface and they can be really ugly. I hope I have enough water up here. And then he continues to overflow and fill us. These chunks gonna get out? Please get out, chunks. Chunks, please get out. But God continues to fill us. You know, when God comes, listen, when God comes into your life, yeah, I should, right? When God comes, listen, listen. When God comes into your life, he doesn't want to fill you once. Do you know what he wants to, you know what he wants to continue to do? He wants to continue to fill you. And then what happens when he fills you? And he continues to fill you. What happens to some of who he is? What does it do? Sawyer? It turns you happy, but it also comes out. And guess where it goes? Into the world around you. As you continue to be filled with God and his Holy Spirit, he cleans you. And guess what? Everything around you becomes clean too because you're sharing the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God with others around you. What happened to all that mucky stuff? It's gone. So this is what the Holy... Thank you, Sawyer. You're amazing. And so what happens is God continues to fill you there is no more residue of the nastiness of anger, 
of disobedience or all of that stuff. We aren't just We aren't just filled once. We are filled continually with God. That's why it's important for us to continue to go to God daily, read his word, to pray, and to be a part of his life and allow him to be a part of our lives. Do you guys do this upstairs? All right, let's see. Is it good? Mm. Tastes just like it did when I started. All right. It's kind of gross. Yeah, we're going to save that. No, 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 no. All right. Here, here's your passage, and I'm going to set you back down, because it's a fifth Sunday. You get to sit with your parents today. (laughs) On the day of Pentecost, all the believers met together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Let me hear your best windstorm. (laughs) And it filled the house where they were sitting. And then, listen, guess what happens? Then... What looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them without burning them up. Ooh, there's mustard there. Get a little bit of mustard. Clean that off. And then, listen what happens. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. Yeah, sure. All right, let's pray. Shake that off. All right, let's pray. Father, we're going to pray. All right, here we go. Father, thank you that when we receive Christ, you give us not only the gift of salvation, but the gift of your presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for filling us to overflowing. Allow us to continue to be filled with your Spirit each and every day so that the muck and the mire of the world that tries to rub off on us will not stick. Forgive us where we falter and fail you. Thank you for your grace and mercy, mercy which covers a multitude of sins. We love you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. All right, you can go back to your parents. You oh, thanks, buddy. You're supposed to get my stand. All right, you carry my stand. Actually, you carry my stool. Can you do that? Awesome. You're so strong. My soul, you're so strong, so big and so mighty. There's nothing my soul, you can't do. All right. Thank you, buddy. So we are, you dust those hands off. You did a lot of good work. I want you to complete this statement for me. I'm full of blank. I'm full of blank. I'm full of it. What is it? You're full of it. What am I full of? Somebody tell me. I want to know. That's what you should be full of, right? The Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, though, we use that in a derogatory way, don't we? You're full of Right? Or you're full of this, or you're full of that, or I'm full of this, and I'm full of that. What are you full of today? That's the question I want to ask you. As we close out our series on the resurrection of Christ, as we close out our series on what this suffering servant Jesus went through, 
for you and I. There was one final thing he told us. You remember last week, if you were with us, he ascended to heaven, but before Jesus in his bodily form, the resurrected Christ, descended to heaven, he told them one thing, not just the Great Commission, but he gave them another instruction. Do you remember what it was? Go back to Jerusalem and wait on the helper that I will send to you. And so now we pick up the story again, the narrative. Ten days after his ascension was the day of Pentecost in the Jewish tradition. The Pentecost was a celebration. It was a festival in the Jewish calendar, and it came 50 days after the Passover. So now how long has it been since Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave? 50 days. 50 days. Pentecost this year will be sometime in May. I don't have the exact date on me right now. But I want to talk about the day of Pentecost today as we talk about filled hearts. What are you full of? And yes, you're going to see <laughs> Mary Lou, who does my slides, uh, the, our front office assistant. She said, yeah, she's pretty awesome. Um, is she even in here? You're way up, like the very last row in the balcony. Do I look like an ant? And not like one of your relatives, but like an ant? A little bit. Okay. I'm going to read the whole, virtually the whole chapter. And if you know anything about Acts, it does not have small chapters. So without further ado, I want to read to you the account of that very day that God sent his Holy Spirit, as he had promised through Jesus, on the disciples as they waited in Jerusalem, starting with verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. That's biblical, you know. To meet together in one place, to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. They were together in one place, meeting together, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. It doesn't say that there was wind, it just said there was a sound of wind like a mighty windstorm, okay? And it filled the house where they were sitting. Do you think it might be a little scared? Do you think if you were there that day and you're meeting together with other believers that you'd grown to love and care for, do you think if you heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind that you might say, hmm, I wonder what that is? Would you be scared? Would you think the world's coming to an end? What would you be thinking? Because if there's anything we know about the disciples, they don't remember God's teachings and promises through Jesus. Remember, he told them, I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'll come back again. I'm going to die, but I'll come back again. I'm going to die, but I'll come back again. And then he died, and what did they do? They got sad. They were frustrated. They were like, I guess Jesus wasn't who he said he was or claimed to be. I guess he was just some good teacher or prophet. We thought he would be the Messiah, but I guess we were wrong. 
And so can you imagine sitting up there in that room on the day of Pentecost as they're all meeting together and this sound of a mighty rushing wind comes into the space. Are you thinking, could this be the coming of the Holy Spirit that we were promised? No, my guess is they were like, what's going on? And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're like, what? Get, my hair's going to catch on. Well, I don't have hair. But it's going to catch on fire. Right? Would you be swatting at it? What would you be doing if fire came and rested on you? And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. By this time, the noise has been so loud, it's not only been in that room where the disciples are, it is echoed so loud, it's out in the streets. And everybody's like, what is going on? on and they're coming to hear and see what's happening and when they get there they find disciples these followers of Jesus speaking in their own native tongue and they were completely amazed how can this be they exclaimed these these people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our native languages it would have been common for everybody to have one common language in the Greco-Roman world. Greek and Aramaic were the dominant languages, especially Greek. So it's like English. We live in an English-speaking country. That is the dominant language. If you want to function in our country, you have to have some common knowledge of English. So go all the way back to the time of Christ and the disciples. Everybody had a common language, but not everyone knew the native tongues of all the other nations around, but they all spoke in this one native tongue or this one common tongue called Greek. And so they see these Galileans, and they know those Galileans have a different dialect or a different language, and they know they've not been formally trained in their own dialect, and they're asking the question, okay, they're not speaking in Greek, they're speaking in my language. How in the world do they know this? This is a miraculous thing. And so they all start to ponder and question this, the people that are coming to see what they have heard happening close by. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They're all from Galilee, but we hear them speaking in our native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed, meaning confused. What can this mean, they asked each other. 
Okay, this is a significant event. They are seeing with their own eyes and hearing with their own ears something amazing happening, but they can't understand what it is, but they know it's important. So what can this mean? But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, ah, they're just drunk. That's all that is. And I love Peter's response. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is way too early for that. I'm just saying. I love that line. And the reason I love it is because he's talking to them in practical terms to say, yeah, I mean, typically you might find somebody drunk after a certain amount of time of the day, but they haven't been up long enough to drink that much. But the other side of this is that during the festivals, they would drink celebratory glasses of wine and cups of wine. But you were not allowed on these holy festivals to drink until after 10 o'clock in the day. Did you know that? So he's letting them know, we are forbidden to drink until 10 anyway. This is ridiculous that you're calling us drunk. Okay? These are not drunk. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is too early for that. Now... What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. I want you to catch this next line. Your sons and your daughters, what will they do? Prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, Men and women alike. Women remain silent in the church. It's not what the prophet Joel was speaking. I'm not making my message about that. I'm just, I don't know why lately I've been getting pushback on that. Your women, your, your men, your women, servants alike will prophesy the words of God. To the people. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? But Brandon, I thought I had to jump through this hoop, do that thing. I thought, it, and then I had to do this, this, and I had to go to this class and take catechism, and I had to get my first baptism, and I had to go through. What is Peter saying about salvation? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, will be saved people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. 
And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. Do you catch what he's saying here? Who is guilty of the death of Christ? Not just the Jews. With the help of the Gentiles, you. Who were the Gentiles? Anybody that's not a Jew. So who is guilty of the death of Christ? Everyone. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Praise the Lord. King David said this about him in the Psalms. See that the Lord, I see that the Lord, and when you see all caps like that, Remember, that's Yahweh, the name that God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. King David said this, I see that Yahweh is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts praises. You see, my body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. And dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew what God had promised, or excuse me, that God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. And we know that the body does start breaking down right at the moment of death, but the Jews had a belief that if you were in the grave four days or longer, there was no hope that the soul would completely have departed from the presence of that physical shell of a body. So Jesus rose on the third day, proving he was who he said he was. His body wasn't even rotting in the grave quite yet. God raised Jesus from the dead, he goes on to say, and we're all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand where we are told he intercedes on behalf of us. And the Father has, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended to heaven, yet he said these words yet again in the Psalms. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Do you catch the verbiage there? The Lord said to my Lord. Did you see that? All caps. Yahweh said to the Lord, capital L. Christ, the Messiah. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor. 
So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. See, it goes on to say that these words of Peter pierced the hearts of the people there and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And they said, uh, just pay your tithe to the temple, your temple tax, and uh, make sure you do good things. Um, and don't badmouth other people. And, uh, you, know, you know, by your good works, you will be saved. Is that what he says? Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. We don't like that six-letter word, repent. It makes us feel uncomfortable because it means that we have to admit that we're wrong. How many of you love to admit when you're wrong? Raise your hand. I'm sure some of you might. Praise the Lord. Hey, guys, I was wrong. Woohoo! Praise the Lord. Is that how you do that when you're wrong? You do? I don't believe it. I bet that was Sawyer, wasn't it? <laughs> Somebody said, yeah. <laughs> you're my man up there. I see you. All right. I still have that trough of slop back here if you want to try it out later. Listen. We don't like to admit we're wrong because the enemy has a hold on us through this thing called pride. And pride will become the downfall of anyone who is not willing to admit when they have been wrong and to take ownership for the things that they've done. So Peter, out of the gate, when they say, what shall we do? Start going to church regularly. Don't miss a Sunday. So you're saying it's okay if I miss a Sunday? I don't think you should make a habit of it to forsake the assembling of yourselves together with the body of Christ. But if you miss a Sunday, you're not going to hell. If you miss paying a tithe, you're not going to hell. But you shouldn't make a habit of it. Do you catch what I'm getting at here? Or is this rubbing you the wrong way? The reality is we are to repent of our sins and turn where? To God. See, the problem is, I see this, and I've seen this in the church a lot, is where people will come to the altar and they will truly repent of their sins. And they'll say, Lord, I have wronged you, and I've wronged others, and I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. But in that confession of sins, they don't fully repent, which means turning away from sin and turning to something or someone else. And so Peter says, repent of what you have done wrong. Every sin in your life, hand it over to God and then turn to God. But see, a lot of times the enemy gets us to just confess and it feels great. 
And then we go back to a pattern of behavior like we did before because we're like, hey, I'm feeling good. Praise the Lord. And you're not on your guard because you don't have your eyes fixed on Jesus. Bless you. What happens if we don't keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, after we've repented of our sins, then we go toward that which we've turned to or which we focus on. You've heard me use this analogy before. How many of you are farmers or have been on a farm and you know how to grow? Okay, what happens if you plow a field and you're looking back? You do, right? It's, and you, you could try this, right? You're plowing a field, and this is like, I, I used to work uh, on my uncle's farms, and then he owned a golf course, and I worked on the golf course. You know how the beautiful patterns on the grass? Do you know, if, if you look this way, you'll see, and you can see some of the guys that do this, there's a squiggle mark because they've looked away, or they were picking their nose, I don't, whatever was happening. The reality was they were not focused on what they're supposed to be doing. So what you do is you focus on a point way across the field or the place where you're plowing or mowing and you stay fixed on that and guess what happens when you get to the end of the field and you turn back guess what you can see a straight line works out really well but if i'm plowing a field and i look back or if i'm mowing and i look this way my my natural tendency and all the muscles and structures in my body want to go like this see peter's saying when you repent of your sins, you then need to make sure you're turning to God and you stay turned in that direction, following him and never turning back and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you. I love this part. It's not only to you, but it's to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, not 15 or 20 minutes. I'm just saying, it's one of the things, gosh, she went really long today, and I had a, you know, I didn't beat the lunch crowd out today. I, you know what? I, I get it. If I were sitting in your position, you'd be like, if you had to listen to you, and I do, I listen to myself a minimum once a month to make sure that I'm doing the best I can, okay? So I do force myself to listen to myself at least once a month. But anyway, he says, he went on preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed in what, uh, believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. How many? When have we seen that? Have you ever seen that in your lifetime? With your physical eyes, not just on TV or somewhere else. See, that's my burden today. My burden is that the very same message that the apostles were given and that they preached that was so powerful seems to lack the power it used to. And the reason I believe that that's the case is because it lacks the Holy Spirit. We don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit because then you get into weird stuff like speaking in tongues and all of these weird things that the Pentecostals do. But the reality is 
the Holy Spirit cannot be nailed down into one certain pattern of behavior, but I promise you, when God pours out his Spirit upon flesh, miracles happen. Things occur that don't often fit within our paradigm or within the boxes we've constructed for them to fit into. And I think that's why we get afraid and why we veer away from this topic of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is why many of our churches have lacked authority and power in the community and in the world around us to preach a message of repentance, not as gaspers on a street corner beating people over the head with Bible verses, but as people who are ex extending the arms of love of the Savior into the world to say, we desperately want you to be saved. You need to hear the good news of the message of the gospel. And in order to hear it for what it's worth, in order to receive it, you have to say, I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. You don't add Jesus on to your current life. He becomes your life in replace of your life. And when you do that, you find your true identity. You cannot find an identity that is truly who you are apart from Christ. This talk today of identity as tied to sexuality or identity as tied to jobs or as identity tied to my relationships is a lie of the enemy and it can seem good because the enemy is crafty. He knows how to speak certain things in certain ways to make them sound logical, but there's a tinge of perversion in it. Just a little bit. How many of you would have taken that glass of water after I put two drops of hot sauce? You'd be going, I would, yeah, give it to me, right? But how many of you would have done that same thing if I put two drops of urine in it? Depends on how thirsty you are. You're disgusting. <laughs> Let's be honest. The enemy can take something that's pure and just put a little drop of untruth in it and make it impure and untrue. We've always told our kids, half-truth is not truth at all. Or, let's just say, you're telling us the truth, but you're leaving out parts of it. So I'm not actually telling you, it's still a falsehood, it's a lie. Because you're leading to deception. See, the enemy is a great deceiver who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can get you tripped up on a technicality, then he's got you. I didn't really do anything bad when I did this. I didn't really do the wrong thing. I mean, I did it for their own good or for my own good. We justify this kind of stuff. But Peter's not saying that. He's not saying, add Jesus to your life. He's saying, Jesus must be your life. The reason our church, I gotta go back to this again. The reason our churches lack authority and power and lack the ability to see thousands saved is because the Holy Spirit has left the building. 
but I'm comfortable, Brandon. And I know if I receive the Holy Spirit and get rid of all of my boxes that I've tried to put him in, then it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, it will be. Been there. I'd still be in Kentucky today if I didn't say, God, whatever you want. And I would have missed out on the adventure of a lifetime. I've met people along life's way. I've experienced mean and hateful and vindictive people, but I've experienced the saints of God. And I've seen how God has moved and worked. And Sarah Lee and I and our family can tell you, wherever we've been, it's not been easy, but it has been good. Because God has been with us in the journey. When you turn toward God, he may take you places that just make you feel, ugh. But when you get there and you're able to look back on the journey, it's like, wow. I get it. But it comes with full surrender. A complete God, I am not my own anymore. It's not about me. It's all about you and whatever you want. I'll go there with you. I'll do for you. I'll be for you because you are my all in all. Now the points. I'm just kidding. Actually, no, I'm not. Here's the key point. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in the believer and the church, empowering them to give witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. And here are the quick points I want to tell you. The Holy Spirit is represented by wind and fire. Did you know this image of wind and fire is all through the Bible? Do you know the word in Hebrew for wind is also the word in Hebrew for breath? Did you know that? It's called ruach. You got to have that little at the end, like you're hawking something up. Try it. Ruach. Perfect. And uh, sorry for the people sitting in front of you who, you who you spit on or your TV screen if you're watching from home. Ruach. How did God create Adam? How, he formed him out of the... The, the dust of the, and dirt of the ground, and then he did what? Into his nostrils. Huh. See, there's something about wind is associated with God that brings life, brings new life. On the day of Pentecost, the sound like a mighty rushing wind entered the space where they were, and it brought the Holy Spirit. It is life-giving. And the fire? How many times do you see God represented as fire? The pillar of fire by day and the pillar of cloud, or pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day. It's how the Israelites were led through the wilderness. How did God come to Moses? Through the burning bush. How did God consume the offering that, he, that Elijah placed on the altar in front of the prophets of Baal? With the fire from heaven. 
And so now you have life and the holy presence of God there with them in that place. The Holy Spirit in the believer and the church is also the sign of Christ's present power and glory. Do you know the Holy Spirit presented himself to the disciples in order to speak with power and authority the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? That we are all guilty and in need of a Savior? What should we do? Repent, turn to God, and be baptized. Do you know what's interesting about all of this? Do you remember they said, how is it that we hear them speaking in our own native tongues? Why aren't they speaking in Greek or Aramaic or something that we all generally know? Why are they speaking in our... Do you know there's some symbolism to all of that? If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, what happens? You remember that passage? All the people on the face of the earth had a common language. This is after the flood. They've begun to repopulate the earth. They've now become a sizable group of people. And they're all gathered together. And what are they doing? They're building a tower. And they're like, yay, us. Look at how good we are. We've mastered the mud brick. Seriously, that's kind of how it went. And they start building these towers. Now, it's reaching up to the heavens or the skies. The reality is they're building these towers to show how great and mighty they are. But we don't do that today. We don't build anything in memoriam of us. It's all in memoriam to God. Oh, we, we might add that a little bit in. I, I sing about sex and drugs and alcohol. Praise God, I got this award. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry. I don't ever watch those award shows anymore. Maybe they don't do that. But you know, do you get what I'm getting at? And so God, with his heavenly host, says, look what they're doing. This is not good. Nothing's going to be impossible for them. Basically, what he's getting at is it's going to go really bad, really quick again. And am I going to have to destroy the earth? I promised I wouldn't do it with the flood again. That's kind of what he's getting at. I know what I'll do. I'll confuse their languages. And so all the builders on the project and all the people groups that were there in their different clans of people and family groups, they all spoke in these different utterings that nobody else could understand except the groups they were in. And so build, the, the building on these structures ceased immediately. And because they couldn't understand each other, they kind of dispersed and went their separate ways. Do you see in Acts 2, at the coming of the Holy Spirit, what's happening in the reversal of a confusion of languages? See, the reality is two things. This message is for all people in all places of all tongues anywhere on the face of the earth. It's not just for the Jew. It's for the Gentile, for the barbarian, for whomever else. This message goes to God is concerned for their salvation and desires for them to know him. Okay? Secondly, 
it's a reversal of the confusion of languages on the right focus and not on the wrong focus. It's not focused on me and us, it's focused on him. And that's what's the difference. And lastly, salvation, forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit come with repentance and turning to God. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, Christianity tells people to repent and promises forgiveness. It therefore has nothing to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of and who do not feel that they need any forgiveness. Do you, have you ever met anybody like that? What do I need to ask forgiveness for? What have I ever done wrong? It's after you have realized that there is a real moral law and a real power behind that law that you have broken that the law, uh, uh, broken that law and have put yourself wrong with that power. It's after this and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk. See, it's not until you come to the place where you realize there is truly right and wrong and I have done wrong at least sometime in my life. And I can't fix what I've done wrong. That's when faith and Christianity begins to speak into the life of a person. But it cannot speak into the life of a person who refuses to hear that. Well, I've not done anything wrong. What do I need forgiveness for? The power being offered here is not that of Peter's homiletical ability to work the crowd up into an emotional frenzy or in the crowd's sincere inner determination to get themselves right with God. The story of the Pentecost where Peter preaches is that there is to be no doubt in the power of God through the Holy Spirit because it's not about Peter and how good or eloquent he can speak. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. The word which convicts the crowd, the external word that comes from without. True, the crowd responds, asking, what should we do? But their action is a response, not the initiative. You catch that? It's my guess that up till that time, they were going about their routines. They were there getting ready to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. And yeah, Jesus, they might have some knowledge of this guy that was crucified yeah. But now that message and that guy that was crucified that they maybe had heard about because it had been all over the front pages of the so-called Jerusalem papers was now squarely in the front of their faces. Oh my goodness, we just did that. We, maybe we weren't the ones putting the nails into the hands. Maybe, maybe we weren't the ones shouting crucify him, but... We're all guilty. It makes sense. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that can reveal that to the individual. It's not your initiative. It's his towards you. Your initiative comes in your willingness to respond. And that's what he's saying here. God has taken the initiative through Jesus Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And he now says, well, what are you going to do with this? I'm giving it to you. It's my initiative. Are you going to respond? Or are you going to reject it? 
And there were 3,000 that day that responded and said, yes, I want that. I want that. One more thing before we close. Bruce Barton, biblical scholar, reminds us that to repent means literally to change your mind. Okay? About who God is. He is the Lord. He is the judge. He is Savior of all the earth. And, and, and it's also to change your mind about where to find life. It involves changing course. We stop running away from God and running to Christ, depending only on him for forgiveness, mercy, guidance, and purpose. It's repentance. It's in repentance that we recognize that we cannot save ourselves. Only God can save us. And here's, here's the other point. Baptism is a crucial step of obedience that identifies us with Christ and the community of believers. This is why we still do baptism today. Is baptism what saves you? No, but it is a public profession of faith in Christ. It associates us with who he is and what he's done for us. And it is symbolic of our dying to selves and rising to new life in Christ Jesus all by the power of God and so it's important as a testimony of our faith, a public profession, if you will, of that faith, that we are not ashamed of our Savior. As our worship team comes forward to close us out today, I want to ask you again this question. What are you filled with? What are you full of? Are you full of anger? Are you full of bitterness, resentment? Are you full of depression? Anxiety? Are, are you full of yourself? Are you full of other people in your life? That you filled the spaces within you that are reserved for God and His Holy Spirit with other people or other things? What are you full of today? It's been asked that if you were arrested for being Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? <laughs> and I have to ask myself that question. It's easy to say that standing up here, but when I'm interfacing with the public, is there anything distinctive about me? And No, I don't need to be running around preaching and teaching and doing all that in the public spaces. But is there enough evidence about the way I live my life that it seems that there's something peculiar enough about me that it's different than the rest of the world? Is there enough evidence to convict me for being a Christian if Christianity became illegal? God cannot feel what is not emptied. Have you become completely emptied of yourself so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit today? And it's as simple as saying, forgive me. I'm a sinner, God, and you know that. I don't have to tell you something you don't know, but for me to confess it is important. And God, I confess I can't even think of all the things I've done wrong. I'm sure there are things that I've done wrong that I've forgotten about, but God, you know them. And, I, and I'm just asking, please forgive me. Everything in my life that is not measured up to your good and perfect standard, please forgive me. As a believer in Christ today, if you're hearing these words and you know that there's some unrepentant sin in your life, it's okay to say, yes, I'm a believer, but I still have this albatross weighing me down. I've put some of that crap inside of me, and I need to 
I need to go back and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to pour himself in me so that I can be clean and cleansed. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. We need to experience the fullness of his presence, not just from without, but from within. There is nothing more freeing and empowering than to cast your cares on him, not only because he cares for you, but because he desires to fill you and for you to be his holy temple. Our altars are always open. Please come, be prayed with. If you want to be prayed with, come to my right, your left. If you want to pray alone, come to my left, your right. But again, I ask you today, don't leave without making sure you're in alignment with God through the power of the Holy Spirit in belief and following of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled to overflowing. And not just once, but continually as you lay your life on the altar as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable in your worship to God. Father, even as a pastor, I don't always live up to the ideals that you've laid out for me. And so today I confess that sometimes pride gets the best of me. Sometimes anger and bitterness can start to take root in my heart. God, I get my eyes off of you. Sometimes in my silliness and joking, I I can be a mess. Forgive me for those things. Fill me once again with your Holy Spirit. Take control over me, my thoughts, my mind, my heart, my strength. Not only do I owe you everything, but a desire to give you everything because you are my everything. I pray this body of Christ today would hear the words of Peter. Repent, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Lord, there's nothing more important than our soul. Remind us of that today as we lay it all on the altar in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.